everybody, I'm Mackenzie. Welcome to Unfiltered Legends. In each episode, John the Legend Boker talks to pool and spa people, professionals, service techs, pool owners, about their experiences. The ups, the downs, the funny, and the sad. Well, actually, they filter out the sad. We're here to entertain, but you might learn a few things along the way. In today's episode, the boys go international and meet Alan Horwood, owner of Pool Patrol in Vancouver, British Columbia. We'll learn a lot about automatic pool covers and the company Automatic Pool Covers. We'll also answer the question, are Canadians too nice? Enjoy! Well, I accidentally let it slip down around my face. I I don't know. The world's cuckoo. I thought I had this figured out. It looks like he's on. Alan, you there? Legend! Today, we are talking about shoes in Africa, hotels in Indiana, and holding the door for strangers. Is this CCTV? It's just another episode of Unfiltered Legends. He lost all his money because he picked up a hitchhiker after Vietnam. I'm upstairs by myself in a closet. The least popular podcast ever. (laughs) That is a rough start. Alan, tell me a little bit about Pool Patrol. I've been at this longer than I want to recognize. The Pool Patrol started in 95 when I finally got out there on my own and decided that I didn't want to work for anybody else anymore. And the niche that I was trying to fill was in commercial pool and spa maintenance. I thought that that wasn't being done well enough. I thought there was good money in tons of hotels, you know, strata complexes, apartment buildings, health centers. So I went after that market and built myself up a nice little pool route and started uh, started small, obviously, you, you know, definitely a, a one puller kind of guy, get a, a van and a license and a and, a, and some equipment and, and, and off I went. And that was in, that was officially in 95. Now this is in Canada or you were in the U.S. at the this time? This is in Canada. I'm, I'm one of the few born and raised um, Vancouverites. You might be familiar with Vancouver. We're a little north of you guys. <laughs> I know where Windsor is. I know where all of the uh, the uh, nightclubs. You experienced a different part of Canada. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the late Robin Williams that said it best: "Is we're we're like that cute little apartment above a meth lab." You know. <laughs> I've I've been in Vancouver the whole time, uh, born and raised here, and so. But we moved around British Columbia, our province, but basically been in Vancouver 30, 40 years. Nice. So when you you started in 1995, you started Pool Patrol as a service company. What were you doing? How did you get into the pool industry? Yeah, wow. 84. I was six years old. No, I'm kidding. 84. I don't know. Maybe I was 20, 21, 22. Kind of, you know, I found out school wasn't for me. School. I took a couple stabs at school, played some university soccer, went on to do some criminology diploma work, and then just decided that school was getting in the way of my education. I had to move along. (laughs) And I was just kicking around and I had some buddies that were working at a, at a pool, swimming pool wholesaler, kind of like a, you know, an SCP yeah. in, in Western Canada here, uh, Western Canada's version of an SCP. And these guys phoned me up and they said, hey, you know, you looking for a job? And I was like, no, no, not really. And they're like, oh, come <laughs> on, man, you know, we have fun. We throw the football in the warehouse and we drive the forklift and we try to pick up pennies with the forklift and, you know, all these fun things. And so I said, all right, you know, all right, all right, all right. All right. I go in and I met with the controller and we had a nice little interview and he's like, can you start Monday? And that was in 84. I started working in this warehouse, you know, humping bags of sodium bicarb or whatever the hell. 
So, so yeah, five years there, five years there, and then decided that it was time for a break. And I boogied on down to Southern California and I started cleaning DE filters for beer money and thought I had it made. You know, I'd, I'd clean a couple DE filters and, and then go to the beach every afternoon. But learned a lot, learned a lot about how things are different down there. And obviously, you know, you're gonna learn the pool industry at all. A year in Southern California should teach you a lot. Oh yeah. That was a good year, but obviously, I, you know, I, I, my, my, my tour of duty down there uh, came up, and I, and I had to, had to come back and started working for different service companies. We ran a, a fairly large service company, ran that for a few years, and then, and then that, you know, fast forward back up to '95. That was when I realized it was time to, time to stop working for other people, and, and the entrepreneurial spirit in me came out, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta give this a go. So up until that point, it was strictly residential work you were doing, or were you, did you have some commercial work? mixed in there? Little bit of commercial work. So the companies that we managed, and that's where I saw the opportunity, I think. The companies that I managed had apartment buildings, you know, they had maybe not fitness centers and things like that, but they, they had stratas. They had uh, buildings that they serviced on a regular basis. And I thought, man, there's good money in those things because those things need, you know, service sometimes every day. There's no on-site caretaker or nobody doing anything. So um, I, I saw an opportunity there with the with the commercial work, and I wanted to make myself different somehow. I, I, I didn't want to be just going out and you know cleaning another guy cleaning pools. So I thought the commercial work was good, and we'd go to property management companies, go to the spas, go to the hotels, ask them you know where they getting their stuff, who's cleaning their pool, is everything working right? You know, I just started banging on a few doors and. Uh, built up a nice little business doing that. Who is it? Is it just, you're, you're a single polar at that time? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, a proprietor, we didn't even incorporate, it wasn't even a limited company. It was what we call a, you know, a sole proprietorship up here. And one guy in a van uh, running around and you know, I, I don't, you know, it's funny up here, I, I'm probably a little different than down in the States. I imagine each state is different, but you know, we didn't even, we didn't even have a proper license. And it's kind of like that up here now with pool builders. If you got a pickup truck and a checkbook, you're a pool builder up here. So, you know, um, yeah, that's Alan, that's still a problem down here and kind of our whole <laughs> down here as well. We hear about that quite often that you run into that. A guy says he's a pool business, says he's a pool builder, says he's a service company. And actually, in the age of covid, where people are desperate to get work done, you know, you don't do the background check quite as much. So we're seeing actually a little more of that kind of creeping up a little bit. People are desperate to get their pool built, so they'll kind of call anybody. And uh, definitely a problem here as well. Yeah, isn't that, a, yeah, okay, so same thing here. And you're right, it's, it's so interesting how COVID has sort of woven us, woven itself into every aspect of what we do. And and uh, and you're exactly right, the, the, the legit pool builders are back to being two years out to get a pool built. And so you get, you know, some friends, some neighbors, some kid down the street, some guy, you know, on a, on a weekend pass out of jail wanting to build a pool. Oh, geez. Sometimes a couple of podcasters, they'll just come out on a weekend for a few bucks. They'll take anything they can get. A case of beer, a case of beer will cover it, right? Exactly. So when did you decide auto covers was a, yet another niche? When I was running a service company with 1,200 uh, pools on route, we got so scared of these damn auto covers that we would tell the customer, we're going to be there Tuesday, 9 o'clock in the morning. We're going to ask you to please open your cover. We don't want any part of operating that cover. Because, you know, 
we would break them. Oh, yeah. The guys wouldn't understand. You break, you know, you break one of those ropes and it takes you a week to fix it. That's right. To figure out how to adjust that thing again, get it back working. Well, and the only ones really up here were these old ones that had a shear pin in the drive mechanism. And the shear pin was designed to fail if the cover ran into trouble. Well, we never okay. we never knew what that trouble was, whether it's because the cover was old or they weren't pumping the water off. We didn't know enough about it, but you'd break that damn shear pin and suddenly, you know, you're, you're the guy with 14 pools to clean and you're you're jamming a screwdriver in the drive shaft. Kind of, <laughs> I remember I was servicing the odd residential pool and I had a great customer and I remember his name. I still see his trucks around town. He's a stonemason guy. He had a real nice pool. And he had one of these darn auto covers, you know, and there just wasn't a lot of them. What year are we talking now? What, yeah, what year? Um, late 90s. Okay. And, and this guy had a broken auto cover and nobody knew how to fix it. Nobody knew how to get parts. Nobody would help him or me. And he was heating that thing. I think he was doing swim lessons out of it. You know, he's heating it up to 88 almost year round. Or he was screaming mad. And I said, well, you got to contact the manufacturer of this thing and find out why we can't get any help. That led me to the manufacturer in 98. The manufacturer and I had a conversation. They said, hey, well, listen, why don't you come down and learn about these things? We went from less than 1% of swimming pools had an auto cover to I'm gonna guess we're at 20 to 30%. Wow. So things have changed, yeah. What does that mean in terms of the route? I sold the the pools that we had to a very reputable uh, swimming pool company here in Vancouver. And I did it for a couple of reasons. One is I was kind of done cleaning pools. I was kind of done, you know, as a one puller, when you've got a Monday, Wednesday, Friday commercial pool, there are no, you know, you don't get to take holidays or, you know, we don't have a setup here where somebody can cover your route. So it was real difficult for me to enjoy some time off. And I'd done that for three or four years and I decided that maybe this wasn't the way I wanted to go. And when the opportunity of coverage came up, I thought, wow, this is exactly what this is. I wanted something niche. I, I wanted something different. This is kind of cool. And and also, I didn't want to compete against the, uh, the same guys that were giving me business. So all these guys that are out there cleaning pools, they all knew me. And, and if somebody inquires about a cover, wants an auto cover, wants a cover fixed, I want to get the work. But they don't want to give me that work if I'm cleaning pools. Give us your brand, because I, I want to understand it. There's different stuff out there. You came to a conclusion of a specific brand that you wanted to do. What is it? So my first opportunity in the market, and I, and I do thank them for that, is was, was with Cover Pools, a fellow named Rick Clark that owned Cover Pools. And, and so I had a very, very good relationship with the folks at Cover Pools from the year 2000 until about the year 2015. And they basically said, you're our man you go nuts, you go sell auto covers. And, and I'll be frank with you guys, you know, th th those first years, I remember there was a fellow, a general manager at Cover Pools, not Rick Clark, but another fella, and he literally drove me home one night while I was down in Salt Lake City. He says, I appreciate all you're doing, but I, I, wouldn't, give up, I wouldn't give up your day job. <laughs> and I'll never forget, because I couldn't tell whether he was uh, challenging me or was serious, but I don't know whether he knew we could do covers or not. And in our first year, guys, we sold, I'm going to say, between eight and 10 covers. Nothing, right? Like at, at, eight, at eight or 10 covers, that's not good. That's, that's not good. 
And then in about 2014, 2015, made a big leap of faith and formed a wonderful partnership arrangement with a company called Automatic Pool Covers uh, uh, out of Indiana. I'm sure you know those guys. Yep, I know who they are. Yep. You know, things change, guys, in the market. You guys know what it's like. And, and we're seeing a lot of buyouts. We're seeing, you know, uh, um, not necessarily monopolies, but there's a lot of corporate takeovers going on. And Cover Pools got taken over by Zodiac, and I think they've subsequently sold a couple more times. Uh, we all know what's happened, you know, with CoverStar. And it just wasn't the right fit anymore. It was time for a change. And with APC, you know, we flew out there. We had great meetings. We hang out with those guys. Now, let me ask you this. Did, did APC put you up in their like little condo with the living room and the bar and all that kind of stuff? No. <laughs> you know, they, they treat us really well and we have a great time. But I got to be honest with you, the, the hotel that I stayed at, fun to bring it up, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit lacking. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's nothing fancy, that's for sure. Want to use less chlorine next year? Proteam Supreme uses a borate formula to keep your pool water in balance. And balanced water is the perfect environment for a sanitizer to go to work. In 2021, trust Proteam Supreme for a Supreme Pool season. To learn three ways to use 30% less sanitizer, visit HavilandPool.com. I don't know. And this was God. I don't know how many years ago it was, but there we. I had gotten a hotel room in there, and they said, "No, we got this thing," and it's. It I was weird. I don't even know how to describe it, but there was like multiple bedrooms and this big living room and a kitchen, and they had this uh, like a log in the middle of the the kitchen bar area, and you set. You got like one little baby tap with a nail, and then you had to drive the nail into the log with a hammer. This had to have been back in the early 2000s, I'm going to say. So they, they might not even have that facility anymore. They may have moved to someplace else. Yeah. I, I got to find out why, why I'm not staying downtown at the W or something. <laughs> A little bit lacking and not very fancy are also how most hotels in Indiana describe themselves as the positive. They had a hot tub at the bottom of this apartment thing that they had. And there was a hot tub and they were working on, it was just a prototype for their automatic hot tub cover. People wanted to use the hot tub. It's all pool people and uh, the hot tub didn't work. Hey, Boker, you know how to do fix those things. Check it out. So I look at it and I'm like, this pressure switch is bad. I'll just jump it out. I said, it'll heat up for the time being, but you got to watch it, you know? Well, I had left and went back to my hotel. I didn't stay on, on their grounds. And uh, we show up the next day. They're like, hey, uh, we forgot to turn off the hot tub after you jumped the pressure switch. Yeah, we melted the pipe and uh, flooded the whole bottom level. I went, oh, geez. One of my best stories about a hot tub is a, a fitness center down in Vancouver. Once again, you know, it's funny. The things you do when you're a little green in the industry, right? I remember taking over this, this fitness facility and they had a hot tub. And one of the things I had taken Lowry's course on commercial pool and spa mate, learned a hell of a lot. And, and uh, one of the things that they talk about is the, you know, there's a there's a formula yeah. for how often you drain a hot tub. So I swore yeah. by that. I thought that was a great idea. So I go to this place, fitness place, and I'm talking to the manager there. And I said, so listen, how often you drain this hot tub? And he looks at me sideways and he goes, what do you mean drain it? <laughs> he goes like all the way. And I'm like, yeah, man, like all the way. Like how often are you draining? He goes, well, we don't drain it. And I go, ever? He goes, no, 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 not really. 
And I go, well, show me the hot tub. And I get out there and he shows me this hot tub and there is foam coming off of that thing three feet high. <laughs> How do you control the foam? And he goes, well, you know, and he opens a storage room and I swear to God, guys, there there was, it was stacked high, kind of like, kind of like John's beer fridge. It was full, full of cases of antifoam, cases of antifoam <laughs> and these cute little syrup-like dispensers, you know, and these cute little bottles. And I was like, Wow. And I go, so, so, so what do you do with that? He goes, well, we just leave them out on the deck for the, for the guys, you know, for whoever's using the hot tub can just, you know, sprinkle some antifoam on there. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, Johnny, didn't you go to a hot tub, the classic hotel hot tub, and there were kids building beards of uh, foam on their face? Oh yeah. Yeah. They looked like little, like, uh, like gnomes, like little gnomes, like the guy built like a cone hat and had like a beard on and it was you know, disgusting brown, and and I look, and the parents are all there laughing and having a good. Time. I'm like, uh, the foam. Oh, that's just from swimming suits. I go, no, it is not. It's brown. It's disgusting. Yeah. Well, it's from inside the swimming suits, John. So he's half right. <laughs> I just. <laughs> so I had a, I had this other hotel on service Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and you know they had two hot tubs and a swimming pool. They had puck feeders. I mean, how those things were ever designed commercially, right? They've got no intelligence in them whatsoever. They're just bleeders, you know, they just bleed. And the novelty with those is back in the day, it would be logical in some ways for a fella to fill that thing because it's tall. It holds a lot of pucks. Why not fill that son of a gun? Well, the problem is, you know, the concentration of chlorine was just over the top. So I took over this one hotel that was doing that. And I said, guys, you know, turn that valve to 0.5 and just bleed a little. Well, they didn't, they didn't want to do that. And on a Monday morning, I showed up and there was a big argument going on at the front desk. And there was a kid's, a child's beauty pageant being hosted at the hotel. <laughs> a bunch of blonde haired little kids had gotten in the hot tub and the pucks had lowered the pH and eaten all the copper out of that, out of that system. <laughs> and all the kids turned green. They did their hair, their nails, they turned green. I show up, I show up in my pool patrol gear and I see what's going on. I talk to the girl at the front desk, what's going on? Oh, the kids, kids turned green out of the hot tub. I turned around and walked out of there. I'm like, I, I don't even want to know. So Alan, after you, uh, after APC recruited you, lured you in to, uh, into Indiana, so that was 2015, and how's business been since then? It's been an incredible ride, and I tell you, you know, I wish I, I wish I could just, you know, bottle that magic formula and go, here, guys, take this, and your business will quadruple internally. You know, the the the, the captain's always driving the ship, and I think that the captain in this case was me, and I was getting a little burnt out. There'd been some changes. I was just flatlining. You know, we were just flatlining. We weren't growing. I, I was maybe looking to get out of the business, and so. Right about that time, I'm sure you guys know him, Sheback, Michael, great guy. Him and I have a phone conversation and we were on the phone for like an hour. And he said, well, come out, let's talk, you know? And so he, between him and, and their, their West Coast representative, a guy named Tom Callahan, who's become a friend and a, a mentor and, a, and just a great guy. It was a change of attitude from me. It was a push from them to say, okay, we're not going to sit back and watch you flatline. That's not what we're about. And okay, fine. And then just timing and execution and vision. And then this latest year, of course, with COVID and all those things combined, we, you know, without disclosing numbers, we basically quadrupled our volume. 
We went, we went, we went from one cover to four covers. That's, I mean, that's awesome. That is, that's awesome. And every person, and I don't, even if you're not a pool guy, if you're whatever you do, you get into a stall in life and in your career and in your passion and what you're doing, right? And you need something to revive that. Shift gears a little bit. And and for me, quite honestly, it was it was the other John. It was Bereza to say, hey, let's do a couple of podcasts and try and do this to get involved and engage in a different way. And so I I understand exactly what you're talking about. You needed somebody to to get you back in gear. Yeah, it, it, it's true. And and what's you know leads me back to this podcast and we're all just we're all just John and comparing notes, but you know, we're a bunch of little islands. There's a lot of one pullers. There's a lot of you know uh, guys in their truck, and they don't they don't get to have meetings or discussions or share stories or or share concerns or share advice. And the cover industry is no different. Having APC on board and a new energy, you're absolutely right. It was it was a new direction that I had to go. I'm responsible for employees, and I'm not just a cover guy now. I'm managing a very very rapidly growing company. It's so funny. I keep the tools because I can't let go of them, but I, I I am not often on the tools anymore. I just don't have time. I'm answering emails, I'm writing articles, and then just managing. I've got two locations where, you know, inventory control and, and HR and training and, you know, there's all these things now. And so quite frankly, that's, that's the exciting part. And to see my guys stay invigorated, stay excited for me to work on being a better employer, especially with this COVID craziness going on. Um, we all got to be, we all got to stay calm and be kind to each other and, and get through this thing. And, and so as, a, as an employer, that's been my biggest challenge, but also my biggest reward. When you talk about 2020 and COVID and get into what 2020 was for you guys, because obviously it was crazy here, but you guys are in a totally different country there's a different climate as far as i can tell yeah so i mean what a what a crazy year i'll never forget it was the middle of march and we had two guys down on a penthouse in vancouver replacing an entire system and 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 things were getting a little a little testy and i remember i was just gonna go down there for lunch and take the guys out for lunch and then i'm up on this roof deck with two of my guys we're all family guys you know we all got kids we all got families and two of my guys are up there and all of our phones start going off at once. And we're all in different school districts and it's the school calling us or, or texting us saying that, you know, effective immediately, all schools are closed. And things just unraveled so quickly. Um, to be honest, like everybody, we didn't know what to do. So I think small businesses were just, were just scared to death. What this was gonna mean, you know, we had just expanded and then this hits and we're like, wow. And there was so many unknowns early you know, my immediate change, guys, to, to, to be honest, for, for better or for worse, is I stopped pulling a salary. And so I stopped that, immediately had to come up with a COVID protocol that any job we went to, you know, lengthy discussions with Tom Callahan, with Michael Sheback, are we essential? There was a lot of questions. And then the weather was good up here. We're in a seasonal line of work. And basically they sent the kids home early, spring break, middle of March. You got summer holidays right now. And working from home sounds good. Working from home with the kids, that's a little bit different story. If you were thinking about a pool, you better get your damn pool. My phone started ringing off the hook and I was like, whoa, you know, what are we gonna do? The pool builders are calling me. I'm, act, I'm acting like a therapist, all my pool builders. You know, we're talking about, you know, what if this and what if that? And I said, hey man, let's just hang in there. We talked about reining in our receivables and we hung in there, but those first two weeks were iffy and then we exploded, probably like a lot of people. 
It was difficult. If you break your screwdriver and got to go to Home Depot, you're in the lineup for 45 minutes, you know. For whatever reason, from a supply chain standpoint, up until recently, up until the fall, the covers have been great the whole year. I don't know how they're doing it, but the pool, we're seeing stuff, you know, you couldn't get a heater in August, no gas heaters. We ran out of steel panels. I think that moving forward is our biggest challenge in the industry up here. It's cold up here, man. It's, it's December and my guys are still working. All right, so tell me this. I'm a homeowner walking into your store. Yeah. Convince me of why I would want an auto cover on my pool. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, for years, I used to say, you can't sell these things. They're super expensive. And this is not something that, this is not a set of, we're not encyclopedia salesmen. It doesn't work that way. The customer has to have made up his mind, you know, during the exploration of buying a pool or talking to their pool builder. So I used to say, listen, the pool builder needs to bring that up in their presentation. However, like everything else, things have changed. In certain markets, we're seeing a ton of these covers and we literally, I look them right in the eye and go, listen, this is a, you're building a house without a roof. You're renovating your kitchen and then putting down plywood countertops. And they say, well, I, we can't afford it. And I, I, I'd be like, well, you can't afford not to. And quite frankly, build your pool in stages or you're already spending X amount of dollars, spend X plus and get what you want. So for me, it's it, it's like listen, it's no different than talking about the pump. You know, are you going to cheap out on? Go, I don't I don't think I want to circulate this thing. I, I'm I'm okay with just you know, you know, like really, really. So uh, it's hard not to get emotional about. It. You can hear probably hear it in my voice. I'm like guys, this is crazy. And so it's a it's a no brainer. And so usually you just have to lead the customer to the correct conclusion. You know, don't shove it down their throat. Just let let them let them understand the benefits and then you know and then go from there now let me ask you this in vancouver does it meet fencing requirements so there's some areas in the u.s now where you're not required to put a fence around a pool if you have an auto cover yeah great question john it, you know and that that's a tough one we used to fight it i had a i had a, a an entire binder full of variances from all over the place that had, had allowed it we're working on a project right now in panama of all places where it's a housing project on a golf course. And because the, of the aesthetics of the golf course, you're not allowed to fence your yard. So the developer of the project has said, okay, the only thing we'll allow you is an auto cover. Great, right? Awesome, that's exciting. We have other areas uh, will not allow three-sided fencing. So they want that pool fenced four-sided. You can't use the house as one of one of the sides of the fence. So you gotta fence your yard and then you gotta fence your pool. And then we, then, you know, we try to sell them an auto cover. We're like, this is ridiculous. You got to put your lounge chair outside, you know, between your two fences. <laughs> so, and, and then these people do these fancy pocket doors and they're not self-latching. And so we get some areas that are really picky. And I've been on a job site at the top of a mountain on 1,100 acres. And where the inspector showed up and they, you know, with the subject of fencing came up and I walked across the cover and the, the inspector looked at me and signed off on the variance immediately. I don't understand why we don't lobby more to the government. For instance, a safety cover, right? An auto cover, it's a safety cover. Everybody has the same objective. We all have the same goals. We want the same things. We just need to figure out how to get here. And I'm telling you, COVID has actually helped with that. I really believe that it has brought our industry as a whole together much more. I think you start to realize what's important in life. I think that's the biggest thing. It's funny that when you say that we don't advocate enough 
I think at the same time, I don't think we push hard enough to make sure that we are representing ourselves. Alan mentioned it earlier when we talked about these shady operators out there calling themselves pool companies. I'm sure you've run into people who've been swindled or taken advantage of by these people. Are there there are scenarios where you have people coming to you and saying, there's a problem going on in my backyard. Can you help me? Yeah. I'd love to bring up a story that's happening, and you're right, it's a feel-good story, John. We found out about a fellow that was, you know, too good to be true, you know, the $6,000 pool or somebody thing. He's advertising on Facebook Marketplace, you know, pool will be done in two weeks for 6000 bucks. something ridiculous. And uh, I've never met him, but I've heard his voice and he uh, would dig a hole and take your money and somehow he was able to get a lot of money out of people and then you wouldn't hear from him again. One of my good pool builders, who's become a friend in that area, phoned me up, said, Al, we gotta do something. I said, what, what, what's happening? Tell me, a single mother works palliative care at the, at the local hospital, had a pool, uh, steel wall, vinyl liner pool, was looking at getting her decks replaced. This fellow comes in with a bobcat and he either intentionally or unintentionally collapsed the wall of the pool and destroyed it. She comes home from work and he says, listen, your pool's demolished. You're gonna need a new pool. And she was upset, but then didn't know any different. Gave him a whack of money, same thing. Never hears from him again. So she's got a pile of mud in the backyard. This pool builder gets a call, Owen with Reflection Pools. He calls me up, says, Al, we gotta do something. I said, I'm there, man, what do, you, what do you need? He's got a buddy that we did a cover for that runs a backhoe company. We've got connections with a gas, a gas guy. We got connections with an electrician. The police were a little bit involved. The media got involved. We got the media involved because we got to run his ass out of town. We can't let that happen. I'm an industry guy. I depend on the reputation of the pool industry to keep my company going, feed my family, and I'm not going to have somebody do that. I go in the backyard, guys. It looked like a war zone. It looked like a bomb had gone off. There was nothing left of nothing. There was no remnants of this pool. So we're like, okay, this is bad. This is really bad. We invited the pool builder that ripped her off. We invited him to come to the meeting. He didn't, of course. So we're involved in this and you know, it's gonna cost me a lot of money. Um, sure. We're gonna, we surprised her with an auto cover. She couldn't afford an auto cover. She just wanted a pool. She had a pool. I sprung it on her, of course, put her in tears and a few of us got in tears. You know, it was a big, big heartwarming. The media was there, it was good times and so, Somehow APC found out about it. Our manufacturer, Michael Sheback, and you guys know, I get a I get a text message from Michael Sheback saying APC's taking care of this. And I said, God, you know, this was this was my baby. So I think Michael and I'll split it or you know, we'll we'll work something out. But we were excited to be involved in that and we just felt that it was the right thing to do. We know your your charity work doesn't stop there. Tell tell us a little bit about uh, your work in Africa. That's an interesting one. My wife and I went to Joburg as tourists, Johannesburg as tourists years ago, you know, just for kicks, you know, it was one of those, let's go to Africa, let's go see some animals. And while we were there, we were staying with this host family and, and we're not faith-based people at all, but we're just staying with this family. And we said, you know, is, is there anything we could do that's sort of local? You know, we had done the Nelson Mandela Museum and the Hector Peterson Museum and the Apartheid Museum. And is there anything kind of cool we could do, you know? And they said, well, you know, there's an orphanage down the street. Maybe you go play with the kids or bring them a soccer ball. Orphanages, they're always fun. Yeah, and I, listen, I didn't even like kids at that point. You know, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I've got three of them. I'm still on the fence. Alex. Yeah, I know, right? I can't find the return policy on mine. Um, 
So we go down there and we start working with these kids. My wife's working with the two-year-olds. I got the older boys playing a game of soccer. You know, we set up bricks for goalposts and we're bombing around playing some soccer. And we came out of that experience. I, I tell you guys, it was like a it was like a switch got flicked. You know, it was like what in the heck just happened? And it it changed our lives. We came back from that trip. We immediately went to an adoption agency here in Vancouver and said, you know, what do we do? And I'll never forget, the guy turned out to be a customer. I sold a pool cover to this guy, as a matter of fact. He's a lawyer. He works for the adoption agency. And he said, listen, Al, if you're even thinking about this international adoption thing, you need to get in the queue right now. It's a long process. So, you know, we, we literally, I think we went and had a drink and said, okay, let's get in the queue. Let's, let's do this. Long story short, we adopted from a little country called Lesotho, which is inside of South Africa. We're talking 80% unemployment, 40% HIV, all the stories that you hear about. And we adopted a little girl seven years ago and had such an amazing experience, such an eye-opening, warm, friendly people with so much need and so opportunity to give and do something. And we stayed connected to them and we've been back seven times in seven years. We host a great Christmas party and we ask people to bring kids shoes and everybody as you guys know you know got extra shoes that the kids never wore or they grew out of you know what started as 100 pairs of shoes turned into 1200 pairs of shoes and we got these hockey bags you know and we fill them and we weigh them and you know we take hundreds of pounds of shoes and distribute them to some of our contacts over there and then we also got involved in a soup kitchen we're partners on a on a soup kitchen um, I now have three students that we're putting through university that we're just so proud of. We met them years ago. Party in the shoes, you know, going to get put on hold, but we'll just build up some momentum for, for next year. That's pretty awesome stuff right there. started off in the industry as a prototypical American capitalist and you ended up Canadian, good-hearted and uh, <laughs> out there for other people. That's really the story there. That's amazing. Well, I don't know. He plays soccer, not hockey. So I don't know that yeah, he's really it's, Canadian. It's kind of funny, but you can't help but joke about yourself, you know, and, and, I, and I try to think, what makes Canadians different? You know, why, why are we? Because we kind of look the same. We, t we speak relatively the same language and what makes us different, you know? And I catch ourselves being Canadian <laughs> And it's like if two Canadians are one, one Canadian's coming out of a store and one Canadian's going in a store and there's another guy standing wanting to get in the store. We all don't know what to do. The door opens. Everybody keeps telling, you know, you know, you go. No, no, you go. You know, you go. And I'm looking at it going, that is so like, like we can't get through this door. Whereas the, the, the American would have just barged on through, you know, it would have been no big deal. Damn straight. We were here first. <laughs> Alan, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing what you do in the future. I appreciate the opportunity, guys. And I love what you're doing. You know, I'd love to see more of this. You guys are doing a great job. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, brother. So, legend, what did we learn today? Uh, that not all Canadians play hockey? True. <laughs> That the auto cover world is really coming into its own. Those things are, uh, they're blowing up. No, I think i think automation is big. Auto covers are part of that. It sounds like Canada is no different than the U.S. as far as their codes and regulations allowing that to be a defense mechanism against drowning. Yeah, I think we did learn that Canada isn't a lot different than America. It's just colder. Higher. Take off to the great white north. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. You don't remember that song? All I can hear is uh, clinking ice, buddy. 